place where your love is shared the same For the stories where the hero saves the girl somehow Where the no further friends, the adventure never ends We will save the world somehow In Sunspots Comics now This episode of the Sunspots Comics Podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Pop Up Tea. Check out their huge, mungus, ginormical selection of nerdy, fun t-shirts at popuptea.com. They have a shirt for every nerdy thing you could possibly think of. I'm serious. Use the promotional code SUNSPOTSCOMICS and you'll get 25% off of any shirt order on popuptea.com. Even the clearance stuff, which is already so low in price. But go and check them out and thank you to our sponsor, Pop Up Tea. Go check them out at popuptea.com. Aloha, everybody. Welcome to the Sunspots Comics Podcast. I am your host, Chris Latore, and you are in for another super sweet and tasty treat coming up right now. I've got this interview with comic book creator Frank Gogol. Please follow him at Frank, G-O-G-O-L. He's a fantastic creator. He also has been in the biz for four years. He has four super duper titles, heavy duty, amazing comic book titles that I want you to check out. But here, without further ado, check out this interview with myself and Mr. Frank Gogol. Check this out. I am here with Frank Gogol. He is a comic book creator. I'm so excited to talk to you. How are you doing, Frank? Whew, I am. I'm doing all right, man. Thanks for having me. Oh, man. Thanks for coming on. It's your first, very first appearance here. I appreciate your time. And uh, I want to cover so many things because I'm so interested in all of your work. Um, and by the way, folks, uh, find Frank on the internets at Frank Gogol, that's G-O-G-O-L, and also you can check out at SourcePoint Press and SourcePointPress.com. You can buy some of the stuff there too. So, uh, hey, Frank, if you don't mind, I'm going to give a quick uh, give our listeners just a quick recap on your body of work. Is that cool? Yeah, let's see what you know. At any time, stop me if I'm like dead wrong, but I, <laughs> I hope I'm pretty accurate. I try to be professional. Um, but uh, let's start with Grief. You created this anthology and all of your work through is is all through SourcePoint Press, right? All of it? So far. Okay, and, so far. For the foreseeable future. They're very good to me. All right, so Grief, anthology series about grief, unique little small story, little storyettes. Uh, you were nominated for a Ringo Award. I mean, congratulations. So Grief's Thank your you. first piece of work, Thank right? That, uh, yeah, yes, it was. Excellent. And then you got D-E-K, Dead End, Dead End Kids. And this is about four friends coming of age, very messed up story. <laughs> uh, three issues. And by the way, congrats on the success of Dead End Kids. Thank you. Thank you. That was, uh, it's all, it's all very unexpected. Every single time something is like a hit or gets nominated for something or somebody says they even like it at all. I'm just always very surprised. <laughs> so, right. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And, and, and no heroin this is your latest uh, piece of work. Uh, for me, it's got this punk rock vibe, but Buffy the Vampire Slayer uh, dealing with heroin addiction. And uh, summer release, right? Yeah, any any actual hard date yet for release of No Heroin issue number one? I don't have like the specific day of the month. It'll be out <clears throat> in June for sure. Um, supposing there's no diamond delays or anything, um, but uh, it'll be in the April previews, which will come out about a month from today. Uh, okay, comic book fans, so the, look the, for that April previews. Shoot. Still got time to talk to your local comic book shops about No Heroin. I give it my approved seal of approval, Sunspots Comics seal of approval here. That's why I'm talking to Frank. So, Frank, looking at that, uh, how did I do, by the way? Was your body work pretty accurate, pretty good? Oh, A+. Plus. A+. Plus. Sweet. And uh, thoughts, looking back, just uh, in that whole body of work, what what are some of the things that pops in your brain looking at your, your journey through in comic books? <sighs> 
fear, just just <laughs> like paralyzing fear. Um, I mean, I, I kind of kidding. Um, so uh, just to add a little more to your to your recap, um, I wrote my it's it's March or it's about to be March 2020. I wrote my first comic script like that was the first story that ended up being grief in April of 2016. So I've only been doing this for four years, um, and and I've had. A Ringo nomination, which is sort of like the equivalent of like a Golden Globe, I guess. Not quite an Oscar, not not like a, a Grammy, but yeah, second second rate, third second rate, second tier, third tier award. Um, had a, a book come out last year that like simply like just blew things out of the water. Like I had such managed expectations and debting kids. Like we think we sold more than seven thousand issues of the first copy. Um, and then yeah, the, the early buzz for No Heroin is like it's feeling a lot like Dead and Kids did. So like, you know, I. I do have this weird fear. Uh, so, um, it, it's, it's all happening very fast. Um, and I, I, I'm, I appreciate that. Like I, I try to work really hard and, and tell stories that I give a shit about, uh, there See, told you I was going to swear. Hey, it's um, all good. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah. Uh, but at the same time, like it's all happening very fast and it's a lot to adjust to and a, a lot. I mean, there's no, there's no manual for this. Like it, everyone's path in comics is different. Um, and, and mine feels just kind of breakneck. So, right. Fear. Well, fear it, I, your fear, it's got to also, I think, uh, driving you is a whole lot of love because you've poured that into your body of work, correct? <laughs> oh, a- absolutely. I mean, like, uh, I, when I first started writing, I, I set out, like, a couple of sort of guiding principles for myself, like, about what kind of storyteller I wanted to be. Um, I'm, I'm a very picky comic book reader. I read a lot of comics, and I love very few. Um, it's not a reflection of anyone but me. I'm just close-minded, I guess. Um, <laughs> but um, when I sat down to write, like, I, I, I told myself I was only going to tell stories that were character-focused, like, yeah, first, like Dead End Kids is a it's a murder mystery set in the '90s, but it really is a story about these kids and their childhood trauma and how it affects them as they grow up. Um, and that's the story I was interested in telling. The fact that it's wrapped up in a, a murder mystery is is you know great and awesome, and I'm glad that it resonated with people. But it wasn't my primary focus. Uh, and the same is true with Grief and all the stories in there. Um, no heroin. I'm writing a follow up to Dead End Kids right now. Dead End Kids Two is the working title. Um, and, and it's this, the same thing. And that's that's sort of like who I want to be as a writer. Um, so I, I, this happens every time. I don't even know if you asked me a question. I think I just I think I just <laughs> No, you're right there. It was kind of like an open question about just kind of looking back at your body of work. So no, perfect oh, answer. Perfect. Awesome. Yeah, it's 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 uh, you know, a whole lot of fear. Yes, love. And uh, and yeah, your your style of storytelling came across. Tell me how you how you got your kind of break in. There's a lot of creators listening, and so how did you uh, how did that happen? How did you, you know, break into comics? Man, this is I, I get this question pretty much every time I do any kind of interview, and it, the answer is extremely long. So I try to boil it down to sort of like a Cliff Notes version. This will this will run a little long too, but essentially, um, I grew up on comics. Uh, I had like a really really garbage childhood for a lot of reasons, and we'll probably get into some of that when we talk about some of the books, um, but. As, as sort of a form of escapism, I got into comics and I would read some Superman, I'd read some Batman. Um, and it was it was sort of like my my safety blanket in a lot of ways. Like, you know, both my parents had had drug problems. My dad passed away when I was very, very young. And my mom raised me on her own while struggling with her own addiction. And then she remarried to an addict when I was 
five or six. <clears throat> um, so like these, these were sort of like my way of getting away from, from like these very harsh realities that a child shouldn't have to deal with. Um, but I also found like these stories to be a little bit unrelatable. Like Batman is literally a billionaire. Uh, Superman is perfect. Like these, these are characters who like don't necessarily deal with everyday problems. Um, yeah. And, uh, when I decided later, um, when I was a teenager that I, I really loved what literature and writing could do and that comics was the medium that I wanted to tell my stories in, um, I, I sort of committed myself to telling stories again, like I was saying earlier about things that matter to me and about things that don't get talked about a lot and then wrapping them up in the genre stories and whatnot. Um, so like it, it was sort of like a long road, honestly, to, to getting to published. Um, I, I, Loved comics since I was young. I, I loved writing since I was at, at least in high school, if not earlier than that. Um, people tell me that I've always had sort of a knack for it. Like, I, you never know, like, who's be, just being nice to you, like, right? Um, <laughs> but uh, I think when I, I was 18, like, I really got into comics. Uh, it was around the time Civil War was happening for Marvel. Um, a friend of mine gave me a newspaper clipping from our local paper that was talking about uh, Spider-Man's new costume, and he knew I was a big Spider-Man fan from the cartoon growing up. Um, I just sort of dug in and then eventually I ended up going to college. Um, in college I studied creative writing and, and journalism. Um, I have three English degrees, um, two master's degrees in creative writing and one undergrad degree in, uh, English. Um, so like just writing is very much part of my DNA at this point. Um, and then, uh, about, I don't know, about four years ago, um, I was at a job that I, I didn't love. Um, it was a very good job, paid really well. Um, I was pretty good at it, um, so it was, it was it was fine, uh, but I didn't like it. And my then girlfriend at the time, uh, who is now my wife, uh, <clears throat> yeah, she just, one day she sat me down and was like, you know, what do you what do you want to be doing? Like, and you know, very coyly because it was like kind of a pipe dream. I was like, well, you know, if I could be doing any one thing, I want to write comics. You know, like. I love comics. Comics were there for me and like I would like to put more of that into the world. And awesome. then, you know, that conversation sort of evolved into her essentially saying, like, if this is what you want to do, like, go do it. Like, we can figure it out. We can make it work. Um, and the sort of end result of that after a lot of thought and like, you know, appreciation for what was about to happen um, is I, I took a year off work to study comics and uh, yeah, sort of figure out how to make this a thing that I could do in my everyday life. Um, Part of that uh, sort of journey was uh, getting involved with Comics Experience, which is uh, an online comics creation school. It's sort of soup the nuts. You know, there's there's writing classes, art classes, lettering classes, law classes, uh, editing classes, like you, you name it, they do it. And, um, so I went there um, because I I'd tried to write comics a bunch of times and had a lot of false starts. Um, but like I just could never get any traction or, or get the discipline going or, or put things in the right order in my head to make it happen. Um, so I took that class uh, at Comics Experience with Andy Schmidt, who used to edit at Marvel. Um, he's He was the editor on uh, Annihilation, which gave us sort of the modern version of the Guardians of the Galaxy. He was involved mm. with uh, the early Winter Soldier stuff on Captain America. I mean, so this is a guy who knew his way around comics. Um, and I took that class and I wrote a story in that class called Embrace uh, about an autistic kid and his dad and their sort of relationships. Very, very slice of life drama. Um, and that ended up becoming the first story in grief. Um, I, when I had the finished script from the class, I had an artist and a colorist lined up in letter and I, I got it done as fast as I could. Like I just I wanted to, to execute on it and have it done and have a finished thing. And like I knew that if I could do that, like that would be the first domino for me. Um, so I did it and I got the finished product 
uh, in April of 2016. And like the second I opened the inbox and saw the final story, like I don't have a very good analogy for this. And this is the one I always go to and it's horrible, but I think it's like what people who do crack feel. <laughs> like I just, I, I was hooked. I wanted more. And I knew that like, this was something that I had to be part of my life moving forward. Um, so over the course of the rest of 2016, I wrote the rest of what would become grief um, in April 2017, <clears throat> grief was on Kickstarter. It was a digital only Kickstarter. Um, just, honestly, it was like a way for me to sort of try and build a fan base and get a little bit of the money back. Uh, comics are super expensive to make. Um, <clears throat> so uh, the Kickstarter went on to be like double or triple funded. It was funded in like the first 10 hours. It was like way more successful than it should have been, honestly. <laughs> Um, but but the book really resonated with people, um, and I, I guess it seems to continue to do that with the Ringo Nam. Um, but uh, uh, Comics Experience was trying to put together uh, a publishing line, uh, sort of a partnership with a publisher. They had had one with IDW uh, for a long time. Uh, books like Gutter Magic and Tet and a book called Drones came out through that, um, and it was oh, a pretty yeah. good line. Uh, uh, Gutter Magic is now at SourcePoint Press with me. Um, uh, and, uh, when IDW restructured a few years ago, they sort of cut all the sublines and really focused everything in and tried to, to build out their shared universe and stuff. And the comics experience branded line was one of the ones that got the ax. So Andy was shopping around to a bunch of, uh, other publishers, uh, and it wasn't working out. He couldn't find a partner or a deal that like made sense and was like beneficial to creators. So he just decided to do an in-house digital publishing line through comic, uh, comicsology. Mm -hmm. uh, and grief was the first book accepted into that line of books. Um, wow. yeah. So, uh, what I didn't know at the time was when I agreed to that, Andy had been talking to source point press, uh, about getting a line up and going. And, um, uh, that April when the book was, uh, oh, was it? No, it was, oh God, I'm getting my dates all mixed up. I'm getting old. Um, in 2017, uh, Andy had been talking with SourcePoint Press and they had sort of come to an agreement about how it would all work and like they, they put it on paper and without me knowing it, Andy uh, submitted grief for the SourcePoint Press comics experience publishing line. Um, so a few months later in October, I was at New York Comic Con and I walked up to SourcePoint Press just, just trying to meet publishers and, and, and network and I walked up to Travis McIntyre who's the editor there and I introduced myself and uh, – Travis is a, he kind of looks like Tormund from Game of Thrones. He's, he's big, he's burly, <laughs> redhead, crazy big beard, big hair. Um, pretty gruff when you talk and he's kind of like, kind of guy, very Viking. Um, cool. and I introduced myself I'm saying, Hey, I'm Frank Ogle. Um, I'm a comic book writer and I'm just out here trying to, you know, start planting flags with, with publishers, get to know people. And about halfway through the conversation, we're talking to him for about 10 minutes and he says, what did you say your name was again? I'm like, oh, it's, uh, it's Frank Goebel. He's like, oh, yeah, I just, I just read your book. I'm like, no, no, you must be mistaken. I, I haven't submitted anything to you guys. I've never submitted anything to anyone. <laughs> and he was like, it's called grief, right? I was like, yeah. He's like, yeah, we're going to pick it up. I'm like, what? Wow. And 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 uh, I just kind of played it off and didn't – I just ignored it, honestly. Like I just kept having the conversation as if he hadn't said that. And I walked away from the booth maybe 20 minutes later and like I was walking around New York Comic Con. Thousands of people, cosplayers, creators, fans, mm -hmm. and like I'm just surrounded on all sides. I think I'm having a mental breakdown. Like I just <laughs> – I think I imagined the whole thing. I'm just freaking out. Um, yeah. But it turns out Andy had submitted on my behalf and um, it was the first book accepted to this uh, co-branded publishing program. Um, and then wow. Grief came out 
brief came out in print in April of 2018. <clears throat> and that's sort of how my relationship with SourcePoint Press started. It's how we got Dead End Kids. It's how we're getting no heroin. Um, I told you it was a long story. <laughs> no, I think that's cool. I, I wanna, how Andy submitted on your behalf. And then there's this behemoth in front of you. And you've had to have been thinking like, <laughs> did I just have my identity stolen? Or was, was yeah. <laughs> you know, I, did I, he I somehow did, hack my computer? Thing. Or how was this? Yeah, I must have had an out-of-body experience at that very moment. That, that's exactly how I described it to my <laughs> girlfriend when I called her. I was like, I think I'm, I think I'm losing it. I think, I think <laughs> some other version of me is outside of my body submitting books for me. Yeah, which I guess like it's good like if somebody can do it for you and you don't have to do all the work But yeah, no, it was it was pretty surreal. Um, but I don't know it was it's a, it was a long path and uh, I th Yeah, I've had a lot of success in a short amount that's, of time um, That's cool though so, Frank and that you had this very long story getting to that point to where it turned into a very short story Right. It's like, you know, he just was like, yeah, yeah we're taking that book and you're like, well, and you know, it's, you're off it's, in the races It's, it's <laughs> sort of like I don't know. I always, I always go back to, to Catherine, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time who like agreed to let me take this, this year off and, and do this and like be okay with like supporting us and, and, or, or supplementing me when I needed it. And like, I mean, it was this incredible like act of kindness that like I don't deserve or nobody deserves. And you know, it's super, I mean, it was an opportunity. And, and the first thing I did on day one was say, I have to treat this like a job. Like I have to take this seriously and I have to make the most of it. And like, you know, otherwise it was a waste and I don't appreciate it. So it's, you know, I, like I, I, I say I was very surprised when, when Travis said that to me, but like in the back of my mind, I'm like, this is, this is hundreds of hours paying off. This is, this is right. thousands of hours paying off. And like, you know, it's, it's hard to see the big picture when like it's a daily grind, but that's, that's, that's what it is. Heck yeah. What a great feeling that must have been like right at that moment. That yeah, that's very cool. After Thank the you. psychosis wore off, sure. <laughs> sure. After you thought you made sure you were still alive and not dead, you know, you're like, Okay, I am alive. I am a very vivid dreamer and like <laughs> there are mornings I wake up and I'm not quite sure if I had dreamed what happened. Like some some dreams I'm like, Okay, that was a dream. But other dreams are like very realistic and I yeah, it was it was questioned my sanity for a couple of minutes. Nice. Well that's gotta be some of where that creative muse comes from that part of your brain. So, uh, fantastic that that's there and that, you know, you're all of it. And so, uh, you, you mentioned Spider-Man as uh, one of your faves. I can see how that is because your stories are so grounded in reality. And back then, right. Spider-Man Stanley trying to write it as someone we can relate to, right. Uh, high school issues and problems. And I think that's why I gravitated to Spider-Man and still one of my favorites. Uh, what are a couple other, your like all time favorite comics. It doesn't have to be superhero, just, you know, all time for you top two or three or one or two so my, my top three comics of all time and not necessarily any particular order are the crow uh by james abar oh. uh, it's, like it it's it's wildly and it's a it's very appreciated it's a very valuable comic to own um and but i think people don't appreciate it necessarily for the right reason like if you read up on like the backstory of like what james went through and oh, what yeah. caused him to write it like you know uh, a very close friend of his who he never gets into it, but I'm pretty sure it was a girlfriend um, was, was killed by a drunk driver because he wasn't able to go pick her up. Um, oh. He, he lived with a tremendous amount of guilt because of that. And, and the crow is this very violent, gritty, you know, very 
almost Dark Knight Returns-esque book, but it really is a love story at its core. Like, I mean, this is a story about a, a, a love so powerful that it brought somebody back to the dead for, for from the dead for vengeance. I mean, like, and like that's wildly poetic, and it's told like through this like bloody revenge tale. Like, and yes. I don't know that that resonates a lot with me. Um, the second book uh, would be Kabuki by David Mack. Um, this is a book that uh, also came out from Caliber in the early 90s uh, and was sort of wildly – is still pretty wildly underappreciated, but it's got – it's that same kind of thing. It's it's a sort of semi-futuristic uh, Japanese cyberpunk tale um, you know, about an assassin, uh, but it really – it's it's you know a, a story about intergenerational trauma between mothers and daughters and – and, and revenge. I mean, it's, it's got a lot of what the crow has going on. And I just, I think the art is very beautiful and like oh, so beautiful kind of on the page metaphorical kind of way. And like a way I haven't seen a lot of other comics do. Um, and then the third book, um, would be a, a demo by Brian Wood and Becky Cloonan. Um, okay. You now Brian, Brian is, Brian is not somebody who I necessarily idolize or want to replicate my career or behavior on. Um, mm-hmm. but it was a book that spoke to me when I read it. Um, it's, it's, it's a collection of 12 stories. Um, each is one shot and their stories, they're, they're sort of melodrama stories about like everyday life and like different situations with like a hint of superhero to them. Um, now there's a story about a, a strong man who, who works like for a, like a, a mining company or something and like a high story in the mining company. But like, it's really about this guy's relationship with his dad and his place in the community. Um, and like the book really affected me on like a level that influenced my writing. So like, I don't mm. look to it for the creator obviously, but I do look to it for that, that telling human stories first and then, you know, wrapping it up in that super powered story, that horror story, that alien story. And like, just giving the, the the reader something to latch onto and identify with and to feel for. Wow. Well, I am hundred percent with you. Two out of three of those, uh, the the crow, and and uh, Kabuki. But uh, I bounced out of demo. So I, on your recommendation, I think I'm going to give it another try. I don't know. You know, sometimes when you're reading a ton of comics, you either have just too many sometimes, or somewhere something's got to be cut, right? For whatever reason, or oh, I'll yeah. read that later when it's a completed story. Um, so you definitely recommend to me is hang with demo and and give it a full read. I think, I think treat it like a, I mean, the idea of demo is like, it's, it's a mixtape, right? Like it's called demo because it's sort of like, it shows the, the breadth of the creator's abilities, different kinds of stories, different kinds of art. Um, I would take it like you would take like an album. Not every song on an album is good, but the ones that are good are great. Um, not, I don't love every story in there. I, I, I think I more love the idea of what demo does, like being this very grounded take on these very sort of spectacular stories. Um, and, and, you know, like it's essentially a fat version of grief. Yeah, a longer version of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's a bunch of stories about people going through some shit, and and yeah, you know, there are sometimes aliens and sometimes superpowers and sometimes this, that, and the other thing. Um, would I say it's the best book I've ever read? No, but it was one that influenced me tremendously, and it's one that I return to semi often. Well, wow, now I take that with uh, that. <laughs> That is for us as comic book readers to ever reread something, to go back into something, then it has to really truly have some, you know, some deep, meaningful 
like stories behind it and something well, that really you, know, you gravitate that's, to. That's, so that's the thing. Like I, there's something in there that that struck me, and I I can't honestly say what it, what it was, and that's why I go back and try and try and dig through it with the crow and Kabugi. It's like it's a lot more obvious to me, and I've spent more time with those books. But I don't know, just something. Some I, I think maybe demo was was very novel when I read it. Like it, it it was something I hadn't seen before in terms of like the structure. I'm very interested in the structure and like composition of comics, in addition to the story and like I. There's not a whole lot of creators and like big two books don't do a whole lot of this either who, who experiment. So yeah. I definitely appreciate people like Matt Fraction whose books are super experimental, um, even if the reader doesn't necessarily read it and, and get it. Um, right. Like Sex Criminals is extremely experimental and I love reading that because like I learned stuff. Um, and I think maybe that's what it was for them. I learned a lot by reading it. Excellent. Well, I'll give it another go, man. Thanks for the recommendation yeah. there. It's yeah, nice because it. I'm normally the one giving all the recommendations on this show, so it's fantastic. I'm gonna I'm gonna take demo and give it another try and try to uh, grasp just some of that that you that you find interesting. So yeah, demo, just, just buy just buy it used, so that way Brian Wood doesn't get any more money. Yeah, <laughs> will do. Sorry, Brian. You're just not, not a good guy. <laughs> Guarantee. I'll I'll definitely get it in a collection of sorts. Okay. So uh, to make to be successful, we quote unquote successful in comics. I think it takes like three things. It takes uh, unique, compelling stories. It takes fantastic art and the the synergy of that, and of course the marketing, the selling, and the promoting. So what do you do in your creative process, like to make sure you hit those three spots? That's a good question, and it's honestly one that I don't have like a full defined answer for because it's. I think it's a my process is. I mean, it's, it's, I've only been doing this for a few years. So my process is still pretty, pretty in flux and evolving. I I will say that I think it's starting to crystallize and like things are starting to become routine and, and, and like I've got built in like the personal infrastructures to, to like, you know, be able to do it and do it faster and and hopefully better and and more often. Um, I think, I mean, I'll take each one, one at a time, uh, compelling stories. I, I think that not enough comics deal with character and what's going on with character. Um, there's a reason people like Rick Remender's work, and it's because it's about characters first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like Deadly Class is about Marcus. Um, uh, Fear Agent is about, is his name Heath? It's been so long. I think that's his um, name? Yeah. I think so. I'm looking at it on the shelf, and I can't see the inside of the book. I said um, it with a very but, high pitch, so there's a lot of doubt in my in Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's, let's call him Heath anyway. All right. Um, He's Heath. Je- Jeff Lemire, um, Gideon Falls, is, is, is about the character, like who's at the core of it, whose name I can't remember. <laughs> I, it's a bad example. Uh, but same thing with Essex County. Like Jeff Lemire and, and, and Remender are two of the, the writers I look to quite a bit for, for inspiration and, and for – you know, who I model myself after. Um, but I think compelling story starts with compelling character and, and, and pain, honestly, like sort of yeah. pain and poetry. Like what's, what's, cause if you can't identify with the character, like it, it's, it's, you're not going to come back for another issue. Um, which is like, think of, think of the movie Wally, which is such an achievement. Like I don't like the movie very much, but it is a hell of an achievement. It took a non living thing and made you care about what happens to it. Right. And that's why Wally is so amazing. Um, so, so compelling stories, I think start with, with character and, and giving people something to care about and then hurting them, like hurting the people who are reading it, like just torture the character. That's what, I mean, that's what made Peter Parker so great when Stan Lee was writing him. Yeah. So it makes Buffy Summer so great when, when Joss Whedon in the writer's room on Buffy was writing her. Um, and it's, it's, I, I channel both of those, those things, a lot, or I like to think I do. Um, 
great art is, I mean, that's, that's a tough one. It's subjective. I like very specific art. I am not a traditional comic book reader. I do not care. Not, 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 I don't, it's not that I don't care. It's that a lot of art doesn't strike me as, as particularly like interesting. Um, I, I appreciate the technical side of it. Like what these people are able to achieve. They're so much more talented than I'll ever be. Um, but like, the art that catches my eye is different. Um, like I love Jonathan Hickman books because especially like his, his image stuff, um, cause yes. they just have such interesting coloring. The art is, 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 is different. Um, and like, that's sort of what I try to channel. Um, when I work with artists, like it's, I try not to be overbearing with the artists and I have people who I like to work with. So it's always a little bit of a compromise, but, um, in, in dead end kids with Nanette Savitakanian who had this very, very, digital paintery kind of coloring that he did on these very sort of just, you know, realistic, you know, nothing, nothing too flagrant, uh, takes on like, I mean, I like to compare him a little bit to, uh, like a Chris Somni or, or a David aha, like just sort of like, you know, just drawing the thing. Um, mm -hmm. but like, there's like a beauty in the simplicity and like, you know, the, the coloring really emphasized that in that book. And then Sean Reinhardt's lettering really added at just a ton to that too. And like, now I just, I've just got specific ideas about what I like in comics and I try to, to, to just replicate that. Like they say, make books you want to read and that you would enjoy. So I just, I try to subscribe to that, uh, when it comes to the art <clears throat> on no heroin, <clears throat> excuse me, on no heroin, we've got, uh, Chris Med and Sean Med, who are a father daughter team. Um, Chris is a buddy of mine. Sean is a friend of mine. Um, and, and that's such a unique dynamic because they're, they're sort of, you know, they in-house working together like they communicate on a daily basis because they're related but like they also have a ton of great synergy because of that um they you know they can go back and forth on things a whole bunch and, and they each know how to do the other's job to a certain extent like that's just such a great working relationship and the art in, in no heroin is a little more traditional um yeah to like standard comics like like a big two comic uh maybe, maybe a dark horse comic i think is probably the best uh, comparison um but the color is like it's just so unique and and it pops in a lot of ways that like i don't see like, i mean like while it well i would say it was more traditional than dead end kids or or some of the other stuff that i'm working on um it, it still stands out in its own weird way to me like yeah that's that's just i don't know like, like art is this sort of ethereal thing that i can't put my hand on like i just look at it and i'm like that's awesome and i look at it and like that's cool like it's it's technically sound it's just not you know, pulling anything out of me. Yeah. Art's um, a tricky thing. Like we all, we all know it's subjective, right? And everyone it reacts and feels differently and it's just hard to, to quantitate. It's just, you look at it and you know, and you know, you love it or you don't. It's a yeah. tricky thing with comics, but uh, man, the teams you've selected, like I didn't know, I was going to ask you if they're a brother and sister or husband and wife and you know, uh, the mad family. That's just very cool because they're, they're going to have a connection. There's already, it's already automatically sort of built into their DNA. There's, you know what I mean? They have a slight advantage over kind of two strangers coming together. So, I mean, that's very cool. A uh, father and yeah. daughter, huh? Chris and Shauna. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's honestly, it's been like a, a real breeze. Cause like as, as an independent comic creator, like the writer usually is the editor if you don't have an editor and I don't generally use editors or I haven't thus far. I've had people sort of do story editing on the fly and, 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 and contribute, but like largely the, the role of the editor is a lot of the production side of stuff, like managing the project um, and having them be able to work in house and, and bounce off one another just takes a little bit off my plate, which is super nice, too, because it feels more collaborative. Like I'm not I'm not directing. I'm, I'm participating, uh, which is at least for me ideal. Like I hate the idea of 
hiring somebody to just do a job and like once you know, the work is done, like that's the end of it. And just yeah. that just doesn't I feel like you don't get the best books doing that. No, they're not invested. You know, they're not. So, no, that's cool to, to, to lay a hockey reference on you because I know you're a hockey fan. You know, the, the Mad family there, they're the Sadines. You know what I mean? They're, yeah. uh, how, how do they know they're going to be right there and pass there? Like they just have an advantage and uh, you, you're adding an additional synergy into the pot, you know, to make no heroin. So uh, congrats, man. Keep them as long as you can. They're invested. They're in. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I generally don't let people go when I, I work with them and I enjoy it. Like I just find new ways. Like Chris was the cover artist on Dead End Kids and I was like, all right, we got to do something else. So yep. let's do something else. <laughs> um, and now we've got Ahmed Rafit doing the cover. He did uh, some variants for Dead End Kids. He's doing the covers for No Heroin. And now we're doing a one shot together that I can't talk about yet. And like we were talking about a mini series earlier today. Like I just, I want, I just like giving people money to make cool books with me. And like, I feel like that's ideal for artists and colorists. So yeah. um, it works out for everybody except for my bank account, but that's okay. Cause we're <laughs> making things we care about. Right. Um, and I think the third thing you asked me about was, was the marketing side of things. And we talked a little bit about this before we started recording. I have a ton of thoughts on this, but like just to keep it simple, um, I busted my ass for dead end kids. Like I did like 50 podcasts. I bought Ooh. postcards on my own dollar. I had banners made. I, I did handwritten interviews between tasks at work and emailed them and like cultivated a media list. I mean, like I probably put 20 times as much time into marketing dead end kids than I did creating the actual book. Wow. Um, and, and definitely a ton more money. Um, and that's just, that's the game. Like, you, right. you know, marketing is about saturation and the number of touches, like at the end of the day. And, um, if you have a good product that resonates with people, like that will do some of the work, but you still have to get in front of the people first. Yes. Duly noted. Check and check. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> well, man, I loved uh, New Heroin. I love No Heroin number, issue number one. I read it so quickly. Thank you again for sending me an advanced copy of it. Um, again, folks, uh, No Heroin, summer, June 2020. You got to look for this. It's from Source Point Press. It's by Mr. Frank Ogle. Um, you did something very unique uh, to comics. You do it constantly in all of your all of your body of work. I love that you do this. You, you're You're inspired by, and you talked a little bit at the top of the show about it, but you're inspired by some seriously real tragedy in your life, and you use those, you know, as, to fo as focal points in your comics. And can you share with us, you know, just how that experience turns into inspiration, like in your storytelling? How do you go from what you've shared, you know, what you, what you've gone through, and 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 I'd love to know how you got through all that, if you if you want to share it, and how you yeah. got to as as writing points in your in your comics. Well, I, I like to joke that like when you go through enough bad stuff, like the least you could do later is like get a little money for it. Um, which, yeah, sure is that. We'll see if comics ever makes me any money. I don't. I don't think I care honestly. Um, but the the truth is, um, like uh, I like to compare it to like I've got these like demons in my head. Like that that's very dramatic. I, I don't know if that's the right way to say it. But like the, the I have these stories. I have these these really these topics that are really important to me, like addiction and 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 you know mental illness and and um, childhood trauma. These things that I've dealt with and seen firsthand, and people I care about have gone through. And and I think that it's you know this is just my take. Like I'm not saying anyone else has to be like this or should do it for this reason. But my take is like it's my responsibility to, to make sure that the world knows a little bit more about these things. Um, and then secondary to that is to tell a dope ass story. Like, I mean, like I know heroin is, is a story about what drug recovery is like and how hard that can be and, and how people who are going through that 
aren't these villains that they're always painted out to be, but they're also not like these completely sympathetic characters. It's a very gray, honest look at this, this, this experience. Um, but it's also a badass vampire story. Um, and that is, it's a love letter to Buffy. Like I mentioned earlier, Buffy is one of my biggest storytelling influences. I wanted to tell my version of Buffy. Um, but I, I needed a, a compelling reason to do it. Um, and I had this, you know, sort of epiphany moment where I was like, well, vampires are bloodsuckers and, and, you know, recovering addicts and addicts have these sort of reputations for being sort of vultures and, and, and leeches and like taking too much advantage of people. And like, I started to sort of snowball these ideas from there. Um, and then, yeah, the idea of, uh, I had this idea for these vampires or drug dealers. Um, and, and they offer discounts to people who buy heroin from them if they let if the vampires are allowed to drink the blood of the people while they're high so they can get high too. Um, and like, it's just this very, very, uh, unhealthy relationship. And it was just like this perfect sort of mirror version of like the relationship between recovering addicts, taking too much advantage of the people around them and how that strain affects, you know, their families and their friends and them in the long run. Um, so yeah, it's just, uh, that's, uh, in my own personal life, like I, I mentioned earlier, uh, my parents really struggled with drug addiction. Uh, my my father died because of it. Um, in a roundabout, you know, dominoes falling kind of way, my mother died of it too. Um, but uh, it, it it even as like that stuff got away from me um, when I was when I was uh, twelve years old, thirteen years old. Uh, my best friend Harry's family adopted me. Um, and I went to live with them. Um, and my stepbrother from my mom's second marriage uh, lived in the same neighborhood, and my cousin lived in the same neighborhood, and we were all the sort of same age. And we 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 were very much the inspiration for the kids in Dead End Kids. Um, we're about the same age as them. We sort of did the same things: played in the woods, got into trouble, um, stayed out until the streetlights came on, and got in trouble for being home late. Uh, but as we got a little bit older into our early teenage years, you know, 13, 14, 15, uh, my my cousin Tom and my brother Joey. Uh, sort of fell into drugs and, and it's for the, I'm 32. So for the better part of the last 20 years, um, they, they've had like on and off struggles, uh, with, with, you know, doing cocaine and heroin and getting arrested, going to jail, going to rehab, getting out, struggling to, to be disciplined and have the structure around them to, to, to maintain sobriety and sort of wash, rinse, repeat. Um, and that's, that's a lot of what went into no heroin. Like, this isn't scientific or anything. It's just sort of my take on things from my firsthand experience seeing other people go through this. But there's sort of three acts to, to drug addiction. There's there's the sort of addiction phase where you're doing drugs and like you know there's no need for structure because it doesn't matter. Um, and then there's the sort of rehabilitation phase where you're in prison or you're in rehab and you have this like very rigid forced daily structure thrust upon you and like there's nothing you can do about it. And then for the people who are lucky enough to to you know go the step further and get into the recovery phase and sort of return back to like a somewhat regular life they have this huge burden to to put their own discipline in place. Like you, you go from having 110% discipline in rehab or prison to being back out and like you have a probation officer you see like once a week or once a month and like that's the extent of the imposed discipline. And the rest of it's up to you and like you have all these problems. You can't get a job because you're a felon. You, you know, all your old friends are junkies so you can't see anybody. So you're lonely. You have, you can't, get money like it's hard to you've probably alienated your family so having a place to live isn't always on the table and 
you know, it's, it's there's a very black and white take on these these people, and it's it's really not that way. Um, so I wanted to like the, my my main goal in No Heroin is just to shine. A, a small light on a corner, like one person's experience doing this. It's, it's too big a topic to capture in a comic book, um, even with a hundred issues. Uh, but you know, if, if I can make it a little bit less stigmatized while not romanticizing it, like that's, that that's going to be a win for me. Um, and I think what you were hitting at was, um, the thing that I, I had mentioned earlier about, uh, my brother, Joey, uh, about midway through creating this book and after I wrote the first issue, uh, Joey overdosed and died. Um, and that was kind of like, 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 yeah, it, I, I mean, I, I don't know really how to feel or respond about it. It's just like you watch people go through this for so long. You sort of build up these walls and and like you prepare for it. And like, like, I'll, I'll be honest, like, I don't think that like this happened in July of last year and I don't think it actually has actually hit me. Um, just because like when, when my brother told me, um, my brother Harry told me it was like, it, it was, it's a, a relief, honestly, because, you know, you watch these people struggle and they're in so much pain and they just can't quite get it right and, and you know, get any traction. And like, yeah. on, on the one hand, you're sort of just relieved that they're not struggling anymore. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, like, you, you've just, you know, you watch somebody OD enough times, you're just like, all right, this person will eventually die. And you just sort of start mentally and emotionally preparing for that. And like, it leaves you kind of cold when it does happen. Um, but in writing, uh, the last couple issues of no heroin after the fact, like I, I understood why it was an important book for me to work on, at least for me. Like, I can't say that it's, it's going to be another dead end kids or that people will like it or, but it's a book that helps me understand and helps me understand what I'm going through. Um, and grief was like that. And, and dead end kids was like that. And, and a lot of the feedback I've gotten from people who've bought these books for me and have, 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 have enjoyed these books was that it was those things for that, those people. And I think that's, that's primarily what I like. I want to be telling stories, uh, for people who need them. I, I mean, I don't give, give a shit about making money. Like, I mean, I keep joking about it, but like if I never made a dollar, uh, from comics that would suck. But at the end of the day, like I'll be all right. Um, I have a good job and I have a great wife and things are fine. So I can afford to not make money on comics. But if I did this and it didn't resonate with people and it, like it didn't help people, I, I would have to question why it was bothering. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. There was a part in uh, no heroin that really hit me. Um, and thank you for sharing all that, man. That's, that's just, it's, I think it's all part of your, of your, your therapy process, this creative process is it mixed in with your part of the healing of this for you in your life. And uh, that's beautiful. That's and thank you for sharing that, man. That's, that's truly inspiring. And, uh, there's a section in no heroin that really, that really resonated and stuck with me is, is when the main character, I'm sorry, I forgot her name. The, the woman in Kim, um, every, every so often finds a, a payphone and calls her mom. And you talked about those, the, the part of the, of the uh, addiction process, you know, that, that second part where, uh, or the third part where you're, you're out of it now and you're trying to put your own structure together. That really resonates now with this moment in the comic to where she's calling her mom and, uh, mom probably sees the caller ID and says, Nope, not talking to you. You've burnt our bridge, you know, you burn a bridge, whatever it is, or we need time, uh, from your addiction, ruining our family, etc. I filled in those blanks in my own mind, but you know, she, she's just leaving messages, uh, for her mom and just trying to tell her, Hey, look, I'm, this is what I'm doing and I, and it's, I'm struggling and it's hard. And, 
and it was just very real. And at the, at, you're right about the Buffy influences, and that was rolling around in my head a little bit. But then it was just like, halt, the, the brakes came on, and there was just very real, um, realistic moment of her. You know, she's she's and she's pleading. In a way, I, I heard her just begging, like, you know, Mom, give me another chance. Like, I heard that. And it and it just really affected me and spoke to me, man. I gotta, I gotta give you. I'm getting choked up right now. I gotta give you props, man. I, I, I and the reveal of it, and I'm trying not to spoil, and I'm not going to. I, to yeah, um, I, I know what you're getting at, and 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 that was honestly like that was unintentional, and and I, I can tell you more about that later. But like it was just sort of serendipity that it came across that way, and then it was rewritten to be that. And that I mean that's just part of the creative process. Like you, you sort of revise and, and re, redo and you know, mold things to be better. And like that was just like a happy little coincidence that really turned into this inc- honestly for me incredibly powerful moment. It really was. It was. Uh, it, um, I love that aspect of it, and uh, I can't wait to read more of your stuff in that regard. If you're, if you're, I feel like you're, you're, you're pouring your heart in. As I said, uh, uh, you're pouring your heart out into the things that you've struggled with, and, and the, into your creative process. And at the same time, it's it's making some very unique, very compelling stories. So thank you uh, for that. And I'm, a, I'm a fan, man. Whatever you put out, I'm gonna be reading it, whatever it is. Uh, so thank you. And I'm really into vampires right now too. I, I, Dracula on Netflix. Have you seen that? Have you? If, uh, you watched... know, I haven't, and and I love <laughs> Sherlock, so like it's it's on my radar because of the people who created. It. I just haven't gotten to it yet. Check it out, or Dark Red uh, from AfterShock Comics. I, yeah. I love Dark Red. Uh, yeah, it's Tim Seeley, right? Uh, it's so yes. good. fantastic. But you, you no know heroin. You got your own unique twist on things, and I'm so glad you picked vampires. Thank you for. I, I don't know. It's in my mind right now. It's in my zeitgeisty brain. Um, so I, I love that. Give us a give us a peek. Like what's uh. What's uh what's coming? What what are you working on? What do we can what can you expect from you? We got summer, twenty twenty. No heroin issue number one. What's kind of a uh, what's your schedule and what are you looking at beyond that? So we got no heroin over the summer. Um, that's going to run for three issues. They're uh, slightly oversized issues. I like the three issue format because it's a little different than what people are used to in terms of beats, and it doesn't ask people to spend a lot of money on an unknown creator. Like twelve bucks is such an easy thing to spend compared to sixteen or twenty or twenty four on a yeah. six issue miniseries. Um, and and I want to do right by people. The, the the issues will be a little bigger than the dead end kids issues, but the same price. So like I was I was pretty adamant about that. Um, so that'll be out over the summer. Um, uh, this is locked in now. It's not officially announced, uh, but in November, uh, Dead End Kids 2 is going to come out. Uh, we're taking sort of a true detective approach, so sort of same name, same spirit, same genre, different story. Uh, so we got a new set of kids. Uh, this one's set in 2008 um, and uh, picks up with uh, a couple of kids, three kids, who are all the children or relative of somebody who was either deeply affected or, or died in 9-11 and wraps it up in a heist story. It's, it's pretty cool. I just finished writing the first draft and I'm super, super excited. Like I like this book better than the first one. Um, so we got that. Um, and then I've got a bunch of projects that I can't talk about a whole lot. Um, just because like, some of them aren't greenlit or they're in, sure. in contract. Um, but I do have a plan that essentially goes through to January of 2023. And that's sort of my roadmap for the next couple of years. And um, so far, I've never written anything that hasn't been published. And I, you know, the, the goal is to kind of stick to that um, and yeah. just publish each of the things on the, the schedule. Um, 
one of uh, one of the pitches I can I can talk about the pitch. Uh, this is one of my favorite pitches. Uh, I was super delirious at San Diego Comic Con two years ago. Like that's an exhausting show to work, and it's <laughs> it's it's thankless. Um, and we we play this game at the Source Point Press booth sometimes where we just sort of pitch nonsense ideas and like just joke with one another. And one of my pitches was, what if the Xenomorph from Alien got loose in the Power Rangers Megazord? And like I couldn't stop thinking about that idea. And it, <laughs> that's not what the book ended up being, but it's but like. They think Alien meets Power Rangers. It's, it's going to be great. Um, I've got another book. Uh, are they li- are they that. licensed in the same property? Those, those two? No, oh, no. Uh, Aliens at Dark Horse and Power darn. Rangers. At, um, I mean, you know, the, another hurdle for you, but I hope you make. I hope that gets picked up. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I mean, it's it's original. It's not the Power Rangers or Alien. Sure. But like in spirit, it's it's definitely gotcha. inspired by those. Um, I got another book. Uh, this is the one I was talking about with Ahmed, the cover artist from No Heroin. Um, it's, uh, I think Silence of the Lambs meets Taken, uh, but with, with like a hint of superpowers and like body horror. Uh, it's, that's one I'm super excited to like, I'm like, I'm starting to move away from, uh, storytelling about the kind of my personal tragedies and more towards like the things that I'm kind of scared of. Um, and n- now that nice. I'm married and now that I'm married and getting a little bit older, one of the things I'm thinking about is like fatherhood and and like what that would be like and like what it means to me and 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 like the next few stories aren't necessarily about being parents but like there's there's like my fears of being parents are very much like the the sort of impetus that got me thinking about these stories so it's um i it's i I just like i said earlier like i like my stories to be about something and about things that matter to me and and yeah i just i feel like i'd be being dishonest if i didn't tell stories about those things no, so, but that, the, that's what it, that's what the, the natural natural evolution of your your creative spirit, and I'm I'm uh, just gonna sit back and watch it, man. I'm all along for the ride because this is sort of like arc one or chapter one. I can't wait to see where you go with chapter two and chapter three of your of your of the journey of your work. It's gonna be beautiful, and I'm gonna be watching. Uh, oh, but yeah. I gotta mention too uh, another aspect of uh, no heroin that I loved uh, in the lighter side of things, the fun side is your use of holy water. Like you got to tell me a little bit about that. Like where did that come about, and the and, and touch a little without spoiling the the uniqueness of how you use the holy water. I just dug that. Like, what can you tell me about it? Well, like like I said earlier, um, my mom struggled with with addiction when I was a kid, so I spent a lot of time at Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous meetings when I was a kid, and I didn't really know what was going on. Like I, I had a rough idea at age five, four, and six, and, and uh, but like some of my earliest most vivid memories are going through these church basements with all these sort of <laughs> haggard addicts and like free donuts um there's actually a story in grief mm. that is almost ripped directly from my life that's about this topic um and and like i just can't divorce the idea of churches and addiction um so like i didn't do it on purpose um i just there, there, there's a scene set in a church in the book and it's probably my favorite scene in the whole series uh, if, if not my favorite it's definitely one of them um but it's just this quiet moment and there are lots of quiet moments which i think is something that uh, comics don't necessarily have enough of like just just an extra beat on the character just with them so you can feel what they're going through and i like to do that um but holy water is uh kayla is a lapsed catholic um and like yeah, she wonders. She's she's. I wouldn't say she's religious, but she's definitely like wonders that if she had lived a better life and better better Catholic, if she would be in the messes that she's in. Catholic guilt. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am seventy five percent Catholic. I was raised Irish Catholic. I mean, I, yeah, seventy five. I'm seventy five percent Irish. 
And so, yeah. um, but, uh, so, so, you know, this, this is a woman who like just looks for help wherever she can get it. And for the wrong reasons. And like, she's about to essentially embark on a suicide mission and, um, yeah, her, her sort of subconscious response to that is to go ask for help the last place she thinks she can get it. And that, you know, from God, um, and it's just, you know, the, the, the holy water sort of like it serves a lot of purposes in the plot and you've read the issue so you, you know like what, what all goes on with that yes um but for me like the, the there's like the scene when she walks into the church where she goes to to you know, use the holy water to sign the cross and then like pulls back um and and then you know at the end of the scene like she's back at the the bowl of the holy, holy water and sort of contemplating it and like that's just it's just all about like for lack of a better word, the, the sort of poetry of the story, like what is like the 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 art of the arc, and like this this all sounds woo woo, and this is not how I would talk about <laughs> it if I had the language to talk about it. Um, but yeah, like I mean, I, I don't know, vampires and holy water sort of go hand in hand, and like uh, addiction and and churches go hand in hand in my mind personally. So like it just it all just felt natural and like like the right version of the story for me to tell it my way, if that makes sense. Totally, but yeah, I just it, it, I was even uh, thinking specifically, and don't spoil, don't, but but you know, just how you use it, uh, even as a weapon, was unique. That's all I'm going to tell you. That's very different. Any vampire fan out there, uh, he definitely uh, did his homework and found a way that you know holy water hasn't been used before, and I really just enjoyed that aspect from the addiction aspect of it to how the vampires are you know dealing heroin to how they can drink the blood of someone that is on heroin and and the holy water as a you know as a device uh, as a weapon i uh, i don't want to spoil it folks but it's very cool and you gotta check that out so thank you for sharing that as well that's I, I had a feeling uh that it would have a little deeper meaning than just a uh you know something that was used as a weapon but uh thank you for sharing that that's wonderful frank man i i've enjoyed this i could keep talking to you for another two hours i i uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I've kept you here this long. It's been over no, an hour. No, it's, this, this is, I, I've had such a good time. Um, I've been on a lot of shows like for the second time this year because I did a lot of shows for dead and kids last year. And it's kind of fun to go on a show where I haven't talked to anyone because I get to revisit some of these questions that I don't get anymore. And, nice. and like, I have, I have new answers to them because I've had a whole year to, to sort of reflect on, on some of the stuff in my process. And, and like, it's just saying it out loud helps me sort of solidify it in my mind. So like, I, I definitely appreciate like the opportunity and, and thank you for having me. And, you know, I, I would you know, love to do this again sometime. Yes, we will for sure. It's been my absolute pleasure. Thank you, Frank Gogol. And, and where can everybody find you and, and go buy your stuff at? Um, I'm on all the social medias, just, just my name, one word, Frank Gogol, F-R-A-N-K-G-O-G-O-L, Twitter, Instagram. I have a Facebook account. I don't have like a fan page or anything, but if you, if you, if you like what you're hearing about, you want to, if you want to be a creator someday, you want to pick my brain, you just want to like, you know, connect, like shoot me a friend request. Like I'm not against it as long as you're not like a psycho. Um, yeah, just, just, yeah, <laughs> be respectful. Um, but uh, honestly, the best way to keep in touch with me or up with me rather is is I have a newsletter. Um, it, it comes out every two weeks. I think as the next one comes out tomorrow, as of this recording, this will be probably a few days oh, cool. ago. Um, but uh, it's just like you know, I talk about process. I talk about like upcoming stuff. A lot more 
boldly than I do publicly. Like I've been talking about no heroin on there since last year. Um, I do exclusives through there. Like, uh, you know, people who love variants, like I, I do um, newsletter exclusive variants and like just, you know, newsletter exclusive sales on like out of print stuff. Like I just try to take care of the people who like support me most. And like the biggest thing you can do for a creator is hop on a newsletter. So um, if you like what you're hearing here, just hop on the newsletter. There's a link on my Twitter. There's a link on my Instagram. Uh, if you go to my website, there's a link for it. Um, it's just, there's, there's lots of ways, but that's absolutely by far the best way. Very cool. And uh, no heroin issue number one, folks, 2020. Look for it in June. There's still time to talk to your local comic book shops about uh, getting an issue. Look in the April previews catalog. And also, I bought a couple of your uh, issues from SourcePointPress.com. So there's a store there, too, and you can go there directly. But Frank... It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. We will talk again soon. I will definitely have you here. I apologize for keeping you so long. Uh, uh, this it, is not a problem. It's I really had, it's I had just, a great time, man. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, and I'll talk to you soon, Frank. All right. Take care, man. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, there you go, man. That was a ton of fun. I hope you liked that. I loved it. It was so much fun. Thank you again, Mr. Frank Gogol. Please follow him, everybody, at Frank, G-O-G-O-L. Check out at Source Point Press. That's where he sells all of his four titles. He's a fantastic creator. I'm definitely going to be watching his career closely. And thank you so much for tuning in to the Sunspots Comics Podcast. If you want to give a little back and help us out here and keep the quote-unquote lights on, as they say, go over to sunspotscomics.com support. Any donation is seriously appreciated. So, hey, we'll see you very soon. I'm going to be posting another podcast very soon on some fantastic comic books that I'm going to be recommending to you. So I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day. Thank you so much for for tuning into the Sunspots Comics Podcast. Have a good one. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. If you're looking for a place where your love is shared the same, for the stories where the hero saves the girl somehow, where the no further friends, the adventure never ends, we will save the world somehow. Sunspots Comics now.